This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Well, hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Now, you know I've been talking about this one for a while. I mean, I love everybody, but this is so up my alley. But before I bring on my surprise guest, let me tell you about my inspiring Mark Brackett. Oh, I read all about him. Like, I wish I could just follow him around because it's such exciting stuff. But let here he is. So Mark Brackett, his PhD, is the founding director of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and a professor in the Child Study Center of Yale University. He is the lead developer of Ruler, which I've checked into and I love it, an evidence-based approach to social and emotional learning that has been adopted by nearly 2,000 pre-K through high schools across the United States and in other countries. I love it. His book, which is coming out soon, um, his book on the program Permission to Feel will be released through Seldon and Macmillan Books on September 3rd. Ooh, that's soon. Brackett's mission is to educate the world about the value of emotions and the skills associated with using them wisely. Welcome, Mark. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me on your show. You know, I've been so excited about this because I've done a little bit of my dabbling in the school system um, with trying to spread the word about uh, mindfulness and emotional intelligence through my background of health and well-being. And I've hit so many roadblocks to get into the school system. Like it's been very challenging. So I'm so excited that it sounds like you've been in there for a while. I have, um, but it's been uh, an effortful journey. <laughs> oh, 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 I was going to say, I shouldn't say that's a good thing to hear, but like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when did you start um, going into the school system, like, or trying to go into the school systems? Well, I started doing this work in my early 20s, actually. Um, and if oh. I want to be completely real about this, I started it when I was a teenager because of my uncle, who was just an amazing educator in the Catskill Mountains of New York. And he was working on a curriculum back then in the 60s and 70s and used me as his guinea pig as a kid. Really? Yeah. That's fun. I mean, how exciting for you, right? It is. It was just wonderful because I was not a happy kid and I had a lot of stress and anxiety and a lot of bullying. And um, what was amazing is that this one person who was my uncle, um, he was just a magician in terms of his ability to work with me and, and understand me and have conversations. And and that experience from when I was 13 led me to pull him out of retirement when I was in my early 20s and for us to collaborate and start this journey of building Ruler. So that must be why you went to school for it. Is that why like you ended up you know, at Yale? Is it all because of your uncle? It is. Um, so I was... Uh, I wasn't academically that successful in high school and middle school. Um, even in college, I, I majored in psychology and in Spanish and was getting by, but really had difficulty with anxiety and just a lot of things. And 
finding my purpose and passion and then literally sitting in therapy um, had an epiphany that I needed to go back to the conversations with Uncle Marvin. And um, so at that point, I was in my early 20s and asked my uncle to, if he had the, all those materials that he used with me when he was a kid and in his classroom. And lo and behold, we started writing a curriculum together. All right. So I have to back up a second. So you said you were not a good student in high school. That's correct. Or middle school or elementary school. I was never really, um, I had troubles uh, concentrating. I think it was from anxiety. I was living in a lot of fear because I was a bullied kid. Um, And so, you know, I didn't know back then what I know now, which is that my brain was in fight or flight mode constantly. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, you know, without being too uh, proud, you know, I am pretty smart, uh, yeah. but the, um, it doesn't, you know, this is where the emotional intelligence piece comes in as being important because your cognitive abilities um, are connected to your emotional abilities. So, you know, if you don't feel positive and if you feel stressed and anxious and overwhelmed all the time, it affects the way you operate cognitively. All right. So then I have to ask, what college did you go to and how did you get in if you weren't doing that well? Yeah. So I started doing what better, like my junior year in high school, my senior year in high school, and um, went to Rutgers University, which is in New Jersey where I grew up. And then... I'm in um, Philly. Okay. And then later on, um, went for a master's degree in forensics. And then... It was during that period of my life that I forensics? really forensic psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. And anyhow, that's what led me all the, all of my experiences from being bullied to my own challenges with my feelings to working in a hospital, you know, as an intern, seeing people not really regulating their feelings very well led me mm-hmm. to, um, to pursue my doctorate in emotional intelligence and start writing this curriculum. So I, I always, before my guests come on, I make sure that I reach out to my audience and they ask questions. So I have to insert one right here because it's a big one. Sure. Why does it seem that almost everyone, I know I'm just reading exactly how to say, why does it seem that almost everyone is filled with anxiety? So it's a great question. And I think that it's multi-layered as everything is in psychology. Um, I think we're living in times of great uncertainty. Um, I think that um, we are living in a state of constant comparison to others. So for those of us who use social media, like Instagram and other forms um, regularly, you know, you're, you're living not with who you are, but you're living by comparing who you are to the external world. And people don't post things that make them look ugly. People tend to post things that make them look better than they um, are, uh, True. or actually might be. Um, so literally we are living in a state of this constant, um, in and out of who we are. And that is stressful. And, um, you know, I was talking to a high school um, woman recently, and she said to me, you know, I do so much, you know, editing of my face and my between glazes and trimming my lips and lifting my this, 
that um, and I think it's going to make me feel better by putting it online because I, I think objectively that photo does make me look pretty. But then I realize it's yeah. not really me. But but then yeah. I realize it's not really me. And that discrepancy is is really uh, um, dangerous and not great for our self-esteem and our physical and mental health. Well, you know what, Mark? You're making me feel better because most times I do a lot of posting and blogging and most times I don't even have makeup on and Mm -hmm. 59 are going to be 60 in November. And sometimes I wonder because is it not going to build my audience, you know, because I'm not glamorous. But then at one point I said, maybe it'll take me longer. I don't know. But I just said, screw it. It just became too much for me. Like, I mean, I know I went maybe the opposite extreme. I should throw on some lipstick or something, but you know what I'm saying? I just couldn't take it anymore. I do. Um, And that's, you know, you're, you know, you're where we, you know, you and I are different generation than these kids are. Um, Right. My hunch is that where you are, you know, you have your self-esteem, you have your career and success, but when you're young, when you're when you're young and you're trying to prove yourself and there's so much competition, you know, around being the best and the most beautiful and the perfect that it really does interfere, um, with your well-being. You know, I was watching, um, one of your TEDx talks and you were saying your brother texted you and said, make sure you don't talk about the family. Well, I have the same thing. I have a son who just turned 16 and he's in high school and he's like, mom, whatever you do, I saw the podcast coming up. Please don't talk about me. So I have to make sure I don't talk about him. Uh But in general, I didn't even realize how much even boys care about their appearance. Like I didn't understand. I had become way more patient with that. Like it just threw me off. You know, I, I guess I expected it, but it's the same thing in a different way. And it's really hard, like you said, Mark, it's hard for me to get there. Like, so what do you care? Those people don't even know you. You know, I think, and that's an important thing to understand, like, like accepting them from where they are. And as parents, we didn't really go through that. Well, I think we did, but in a different way. Um, You know, all of us have this kind of genetic biological need to be seen, to be um, heard, for our needs to be met, to belong. And I think that sense of belongingness, which is so critical to adolescent development, um, is, has now, like these, our children are playing on a new playground. And that online social playground is very different than the one that we played in or played on when we were kids. So, again, going back to that social comparison, you know, you can see 15 teenagers literally at a party and they're not even playing or talking to each other. They're on their phones talking to other right. people who are not at the party. Right. Um, and, you know, acceptance now is it looks and feels different than it did um, when we were kids. Yeah, I, I it's funny you say that because I had two kids over and I said, aren't you guys going to talk to one another? And they said they were. They were texting and sitting on the same sofa more. I know. It's so, nuts. Is and that there, there, are, there are apps now, you know, between moms and dads and their kids where they, you know, are each sitting in their own bedrooms and communicating with each other. I'm like, no, get out of your bed and go like, go play with your kid and go sit in the bed and, you know, have a pillow fight. Uh, wow. Stop texting each other and sending each other pictures. 
You know what? That's, yeah. it, it's a good point. It's a good point. All right. So let's get into your, I want to start because I got a bunch of questions I want to ask you, but let's get sure. into at the beginning, your book and Permission yeah. to Feel. Is this your first book? This is my first book for a broad audience. So I've written academic curriculum before, but this is a trade book that is meant to be for business people, moms, dads, teachers, you know, anybody who's interested in learning more about feelings. So it's like a guidebook, like it's something you refer to. It can be a guidebook. Um, I see it more as a paradigm shifting book um, to really, um, make emotions central to the way we think about decisions to think about relationships, to think about our health. So, uh, you know, I've been trying to start this emotion revolution for a couple of years now. And my, my hope is that the book will take it that much further. You know, I was thinking about this because I, you know, I do a lot of stuff, you know, with like, I wrote a book called train your head and your bio follow. And it's all about being in that positive mindset. But recently, uh, maybe just last year, I had an epiphany that I realized instead of dealing with a lot of things and, you know, it's great not to be negative, but I did the extreme opposite and I was pushing down on all the emotions and just pretending to be happy all the time, which is not healthy either, right? Because that's not even what you know, people say, is that positive psychology? You know, no, it's about, you know, expressing all your emotions in a healthy way. But I didn't even realize, Mark, that I was doing it because I so much, like you said, you know, whatever trials and tribulations as a childhood, my way of dealing with it was denying all of it. Do do you know what I mean? And just pretending I I was happy and always saying, never had a bad day. Everything's great. And it came to a head and I was like, what the heck just happened? And I was with someone like that helped me through it. And he's like, well, for years you pretended these emotions weren't there. And so mm-hmm. that was a, a question that somebody else had called in. Like, what does it mean to be positive? Like, do Well, I think that, I think that framing is really, I think that mindset of like, we have to be happy all the time. We have to be positive all the time is, is also what's making everyone anxious, you know, and depressed. Because if you wake up in the morning thinking to yourself, what am I going to do to be happy today? But life is not going so great for you. That discrepancy is not easy to manage. And I think even more importantly is that life is about experiencing the full range of feelings and emotions right? My anger at our education system right now um, is justified. And um, sometimes I feel down and disappointed when I don't achieve my goals. Um, And I get frustrated and I get overwhelmed. And it's not that the emotions themselves are good or bad. It's whether or not we use them wisely and regulate them effectively. So explain that a little bit more. What do you mean by regulate them? So Regulation of emotion is the critical skill that I talk about in my book and in our school-based programming. And it has to do with the thoughts and the actions that we use to prevent unwanted emotions. So to be more forward-looking, say, you know what, when I'm going to be at that Thanksgiving dinner with my aunt um, and she's going to drive me out of my mind, I'm going to take some breaths before I even walk in the door and make 
believe that it's a movie I'm going to be part of instead of the real thing. Um, that's a prevention strategy. It's preparing you to be in a better place psychologically when you go into that environment. The second skill is understanding emotion. Um, so it's really understanding, you know, where those, where that feeling's coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, strategizing accordingly there. So what I mean by that is sometimes you have to reduce unwanted emotions. Meaning, all of a sudden I get triggered, I am activated, and I have to understand, wow, like what that person just said activated my anger or my frustration, or whatever okay. it might be. Okay. Sometimes you have to um, initiate feelings. This is an interesting part of emotion regulation. So if you do a public speech, or if you teach, um, and you look at your audience and like, oh my goodness, these are this, they're like they're in this pool of despair. Like, what am I going to do to energize them? What am I going to do to bring them into this place of inspiration? Uh, sometimes you want to just maintain your experiences. You know, you're feeling pleasant and people are being negative around you. are like, you know what? Don't rain on my parade. Yeah. And, yeah, then, yeah. and then sometimes you just got to boost the energy. You want to just like go from feeling like happy to ecstatic. Or you need to intentionally put yourself in a deeper place to be more... Um, prolific or you know or or in deeper thought so again my point here is that how we deal with our feelings is is pretty complex and emotional yeah. regulation is a very big skill um that goes from changing the way we think about things to actually doing things you know what i was um doing a podcast yesterday with a woman who is, you know, wrote a book about how not to lose your shit with your children. And she was saying, and this reminds me of what you're talking about, that people just think, okay, willpower, willpower, willpower. But she said, that's not true. If you don't have the right tools and techniques, which is what you're all about, Uh you might, you know what I mean? You're just going to keep spinning in circles, you know, of not really knowing what to do with these emotions because I think a lot of times we think we should do it on our own. You know, we can overcome it, but your book is providing the correct tools to help us. That's the idea. And, you know, truthfully, I didn't know what emotion regulation was myself until I was in graduate school. And, you know, even though I spent many years in therapy, you know, I learned a lot about my relationship with my mother, but I never learned strategies and how to deal with my negative thinking. And I just think this is such a critical skill that we teach people. I agree. So let's talk about the ruler method because I saw that um, Mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. So ruler is an acronym. um, And there are in my book, there are five chapters, you know, each um, for the five underlying skills that represent the acronym. So the first is recognizing emotions that has to do with being aware of my own feeling states, as well as other people's feelings. The second is you for understanding emotion. So do I know what made me feel angry or sad or lonely or frustrated? Do I know the consequence of that feeling on how I think? The third is labeling, having the words to describe my feelings. The fourth is expressing emotions, knowing how and when to express my feelings. And then the one that I just talked about for a while is the last R, which is the regulation of emotion.
Hey, podcast listeners, we are taking a little break in the episode to share a message. Sandy is a busy bee creating new content for the next episodes of Let's Keep It Real, but we want to hear from you, the listeners. Let us know on social media what topics are buzzing around in your brain or who you want to be Sandy's next guest. We can't wait to hear. All right, peeps. Well, I'm back here with Mark, and he was in the middle of saying something that was going to change our world as you know it. We were talking about the ruler and how, like, you know, it's an acronym to go through and, you know, deal with the different emotions and how, you know, you were going, you know, through therapy yourself and you were learning about, you know, your relationship with your mother, but you never even were given the tools of how to deal with emotions. Exactly. You know, I just never really learned the skills and the strategies, uh, like concrete, you know, evidence-based, research-based strategies that could help me change my self-views, which, you know, I think is the root of most of our challenges in life. You know, that from a child, uh, from our childhood, you know, people make fun of us and we start believing what they say and then we get lost in the reality that other people have created for us. And we're never taught how to challenge that kind of thinking. Yeah, you know, I was watching that video that you had up on YouTube about how what kids say to you and how you could change the dialogue of what they say to you. Um, I think that's really difficult because before you know it, I, I, I teach like tell a new story and that's what you're saying because you start like a belief is what something you just keep thinking over and over again. And before you know it subconsciously, you start believing it. Correct. And so you're trying to be, more like out in front of it almost. I don't want to put words in your mouth so that people are aware that it's there so that they can deal with it. Well, we're trying to start as early as possible, teaching students and children to think through these things. So, you know, if you're made fun of when you're in kindergarten and someone says, you know, you're ugly or you're too tall or you're too short or you're too skinny or you're too fat, whatever it is, right? You don't have, you know, the... the pocket full of strategies to fire back and say, you know, who are you to talk to me that way? Who do you think you are? You can't define me. You know, think about it, right? It's, it's all, you just see this anger or this um, disrespect coming at you and you just don't have the tools to, to deal with it effectively. So I think, go ahead. Good. So if you go into schools, I'm sure the program is different of what you designed for kindergarten versus a senior in high school. Correct. It's very different. So what would you do? You know, like how long is the program? Like what, what do you teach kids in, in elementary school? So ruler is an approach to social and emotional learning that is from preschool all the way to high school. And it involves teaching things like the value and the importance of emotions and then teaching those ruler skills that I explained, that recognition, understanding, yeah. labeling, expressing, regulating. But then there are tools. We have a, a tool that's very well known called the mood meter. Oh, and yeah, that I mood meter that. is a tool to help people take everything that's going on inside of them and project it out into emotion space. So the yellow means high energy, pleasant emotions. I'm happy. I'm excited. I'm hopeful. The green yeah. is calm, content, peaceful, tranquil. The blue is down, disappointed, devastated, hopeless. And then the red is the anger and anxiety family. So it's a tool to help people literally label their feelings more effectively and precisely 
And as I said earlier, if you can label it or name it, you can tame it. Yeah, see, I like that. So it makes this, when I saw that, it allows you to be okay with where you are versus feeling bad or guilty. Because you were talking about that before. Like, it's okay that you're angry or you're frustrated or you're mad. It's Mm -hmm. what do you do now? Well, it's for how long you're having those feelings. So it really is the duration, the intensity, and then your skill at dealing with it. And, you know, we say emotions are signals. They are signals to approach or avoid in many ways. So if I'm feeling angry, you know, about, you know, my family member uh, for a few minutes, an hour, fine. You know, six months, probably not so good. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's about knowing that like, wow, I've been feeling this way for this long. I need to really do something about it. Yeah. I like that. I, I really do. And like we were talking about earlier for me, I thought to even think ill will for a minute, like I should know better. Like I, do you know what I mean? Like I should be able to twist this around and make everything a positive versus like, it's okay to be sad, happy. Like even now, I don't know if, about you, but everybody has their identity of how they show up and how people expect you to be. So if I'm even mopey or sad for a minute, like my friends are like, no, 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 no. You, you can't be that way, right? Like that's yeah, not that's, how you show up. That is just, that's because, you know, they're uncomfortable because they don't really know how to support you most likely. And yeah they're uncomfortable with just being in a place that's not positive, which by the way, is completely unrealistic. Um, You know, we're in a society right now where there's a lot of bad things happening and, you know, we shouldn't go into denial about it and say, no, I'm just going to think positively because that's not going to make any change happen. Um, And then, you know, when I lost my mother, when I was in my early twenties, what I'm not just going to say, okay, you know, move on. Right. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be nostalgic. It's okay to feel um, lonely. Yeah. And it's not, a, it's like we've labeled these things as bad. And when we, when we do that, then we're spending our whole life trying to fight ourselves to get out of that, which we often do with not very helpful strategies like food and alcohol and denial and yeah. a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point because I actually, I was at a positive psychology conference up Mm -hmm. in Canada and I'm not sure everybody feels this way, but they were like saying that's the biggest myth that people think positive psychology is about always being happy. And that's not what they do. Like they said, when someone comes in, they'll say, why are you here? What is it, you know, you want to accomplish, but it's not to get people just to pretend it doesn't exist. It's, how are we going to get you over there? And I think that's really, really important to remember because being a positive person, right, just doesn't mean maybe like you said, you don't stay six months like angry at someone. You recognize where you are, you deal with it, and then you move forward. So mm-hmm. that leads well, me to go ahead. No, I was going to say what's also important is that people who are overly optimistic tend to be tend to miss you know details. They tend to sometimes not be as empathic because they're like, everything's fine. And you're like, no, it really isn't fine. I actually need to like problem solve and talk through this. And then other people are just like, no, just it's not that big of a deal. And that can be insensitive. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? My son reminds me of that. Like whenever my husband and I say, it's not a big deal. Like that is not the right thing to say. You know, there's certain things of what, what do they call it? Validating how someone's there you go. Yeah, exactly. You know, and what's the right tools, which I was like getting a whole list of things as a parent, we say that makes them feel not heard. Doesn't mean you go, oh, yay, that's great. You did that. But just to say, oh, that's no big deal. Oh, you shouldn't care what people think. I don't know if you've heard that a lot. Like parents would be like, so what? So-and-so said that, you know, who cares? But like we were talking about, it is a big deal. They do care. We all care. 100%. Yeah. All right. So let's go through. I want to go through, make sure we get in because I know we'll, I'll keep yip-yapping. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't get in all, you know, the tips, which I think are really valid. And I want to make sure people get takeaways because – It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Like you said, it's a lifelong process. You're going to be doing it your whole life. The first thing is to be aware. But the number one tip, which I love, is like set yourself up for success. So let's go through that. So what I mean by that is that the firstly, you know, when you are um, going to have to deal, let's say your kid is really activated and you know, yelling and screaming, I hate you, mommy. You know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, say, stop talking to me that way. Who do you think you are? Right. Cause then now you're in that battle. Yeah. So setting yourself up for success means, wait a minute, I'm going to take my breath. I'm going to be calm. I am going to not let this have that much power over me. It's going to be okay in the long run, but I'm going to you know, be the listener here. I'm not going to be the knower. And I think that's the hard part is, the parent as the listener and the learner as the parent, as opposed to the parent or the partner who is the knower. Does that, uh-huh. um, don't be the knower because you're not inside that kid's brain. Um, so you're oftentimes attributing feelings to the kid as opposed to really knowing how they feel. Yeah. I was, I was looking at this cause I think this is such an important thing when you're saying set yourself up first, it says be a role model. I mean, how many times do we say things and they're picking up, like you said, our facial expressions, our focal tone, our body language. I mean, they can tell what we're feeling. Completely. And oftentimes we don't have the patience as parents or as teachers um, to be the emotion scientist who is asking, you know, the questions to find out how the other person is feeling. We just want to, you know, you're, why are you so angry? I can't take it anymore. Yeah. When I may be feeling shame, you just don't know because you haven't asked me any questions to really understand me. Ooh, well, I'm looking at your second point and it says explore, like think like an emotion scientist and that you do mention here, validate, you know, and show, you got to validate, show unconditional love and support. You know, you may not be happy with what you're hearing, but this is your child, right? You can't let them think you're judging them because that's the end of a relationship in many ways. You know, my father judged me as a kid. It was, and I, my father loved me, but my father was a tough guy from the Bronx, and he just wanted me to be tough. And um, and I never, I'm a fifth degree black belt professor, but I'm still not a tough guy. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but you didn't have to relate to that. No, because he lived in a, through the lens that he understood. So he was a tough guy from the Bronx, and he just expected me to be that person. Yeah. And, you know, we can't expect our kids to be um, 
who we are. They have to be who they are. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. All right, number three, strategize. Once you know what the other person is feeling and have a sense of the situation, you can support them in regulating their feelings. Why don't we go into that just a little bit more? Yeah, so this is where you're becoming an investigator, an explorer, explorer, where you're asking the right questions, you know, to your child, to your partner. And what you're doing here is you're really listening for the themes. You're listening for, like, is this theme of disappointment, which is unmet expectations? Is it a theme of uncertainty, which is about anxiety? Is it a theme of fear, which is about impending danger? Yeah. Um, so you're really becoming, as the parent, the scientist, exploring, asking questions to figure out, like, I need to find out what the feeling is so that then I can help my child to regulate. And that's when you start using those strategies. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I love that. And so you're saying then, when you say follow up, you know, dealing with difficult emotions is a lifelong journey. Meaning don't just think, okay, it's going to be one and done. This is going to be ongoing. Exactly. Just because your child says, I'm thinking positively today, doesn't mean tomorrow they're going to think that way. Just because I had a good day, you know, when I was being bullied as a kid, doesn't mean it's going to be a good day for the rest of your life. We just have to be mindful that life is complex and it's ongoing. And what we want to do with our kids is check in. So, you know, we're using that strategy to help you deal with your test anxiety. Is it working for you? How's it going? And if it's not, let's try another strategy and another strategy so that we build a toolbox of strategies. Yeah. I know this is going to be probably a difficult question, but I promised I would ask it. And the next question is, how do you know you need outside help for you or your child? That's a difficult one, isn't it? It is. Um, it's, when, it's, it's about when these attempts fail over and over again. So when you're unable to be that role model, um, when you're failing at those attempts to be that scientist as a parent, then you just have to recognize, you know, this is out of my league. When you notice that the strategies that you're teaching your child are not working, you know, for a longer period of time, that's when you need to get that external support. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's actually the best thing you can do for yourself and for your child is let the expert help you do the hard work. That's, that's a good answer. So you also said, though, it's not just about, you know, parenting and children that you can apply this at your work site too, correct? Like the book is not just for parents and kids. Oh, emotions have a critical role in the workplace. And, you know, what I say in our work uh, in the corporate setting is, you know, at a board meeting, at any meeting, emotions always have a seat at the table. Yeah. You know, we're more controlled about what we express, but everything you say is evoking a feeling in every person in that room. And I would want to know what that feeling is when I'm assigning people tasks, you know, when they're sitting in those meetings, because if it's not a feeling that is conducive to the project that we're working on, um, then I need to figure out how to create that feeling. Yeah, so, yeah, because I know a lot of times we think that emotions to have no place at work. Like, do you ever hear that? Like, should you ever cry at a work site? I think if it's a real thing, you know, a little, a little tear is okay. If it's like, you know, 
if you're coming into work and crying for 45 minutes in your boss's office every day, that's when yeah. you know it's time for therapy, um, <laughs> right? Because work is for work and, you know, you know, hysterical crying is not for work. Um, yeah. But it doesn't mean, you know, that if you're, if you have positive relationships in your workplace, you know, if you've had a traumatic event, you know, and you have to cry for a minute, you know, it's totally fine. Like, we just can't make that seem as if it's weak. And I think that's yeah. part of the problem. Yeah, you're, you're right. So do you have a pro, like, do you go into work sites right now? Or is your main interest the school system? No, we have um, a whole company that does work in the corporate sector. It's called OG Life Lab. It's O-J-I, Life Lab. And okay. um, it's, a it's a digital system. It's an app-based approach with coaching that is uh, designed to help people, managers and leaders to learn the skills of emotional intelligence. Oh, so you do. How long have you had that company? Uh, we only launched it uh, this year. Oh, so it's brand new. And is it just in certain states or like you said, it's digital, so it's all over? No, it's all over. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. That's really cool. That's like a whole new thing. So what do you want to do next? Like, what is your goal, like in the next five years with all this? The next five years, really, in both the workplace, you know, and in schools and in communities, my hope is that we're going to create a new generation or the next generation of compassionate emotion scientists that, um, that it's, it's not going to be seen as ancillary or as an add-on to teach children emotional intelligence, that it just becomes part of the way we grow and develop our children. That's my hope. I, I don't doubt it, Mark. All right, Mark. Well, listen, I really enjoyed it. Even, you know, I could sit here. I have so many questions I want to ask you. I'd be delighted to talk again. <laughs> yeah, I love this subject, It you know, and I'm just so happy that you're doing this and putting it out in the world. Thank but you. Before, before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't get in or any point that you want to get out that we didn't cover? No, I think that the, you know, the, the reason why I wrote this book called Permission to Feel is because my hope is that people will give themselves the permission to feel all emotions, but also make sure that we as parents and as teachers and as leaders give the people who we love and who we work with the permission to feel as well. And that's my final message. I think that's a great message. All right, Mark. Well, thank you so much for being on Let's Keep It Real. I really appreciate it. And everyone out there, you know you've got to go get the freaking book. I mean, you have to get it. Everyone will benefit from it. I know me personally is something that is a lifelong journey for me just to allow myself to feel and not feel bad or guilty of having all those ranges of emotions. So I appreciate it even personally. And until next time, you know what I'm going to tell you. Besides being kind to people, make sure you're kind to yourself. And toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.